Just as a disclaimer, we want you to know that some of the movies that we will be reviewing were shot in a different time and era where people of race and sex were not treated equally. We understand this and hope you do too. The movies or anything that happened on the sets are not the views of this podcast or what this show is intended to be all about. Exactly. And we want to give due diligence in presenting the movie and not the views of the cast or directors or anyone involved. But we also feel it's necessary to let the audience know some of the background information to get a feel for what was happening at the time of shooting the film. Again, we hope you understand that we do not agree with everything that went on and we just want to give out the information. And with that being said, hope you enjoy the show. And I've seen him go, but you're the best, my boy. Light years ahead of the competition. Hey. Alex didn't find his dream. To defend. to defend the frontier against Zur and the Kodan Armada. Of all the life forms, on all the planets, in all the galaxies. Oh my God! One has been chosen. Rogan. Alex? Alex. Is the last starfighter. For every Earthling who's ever imagined traveling beyond the stars. Maybe there is a starfighter left. I love you, Alex Rogan. Comes the unforgettable story of one who made it. <laughs> the last starfighter.
All right, guys. Welcome back to the Tragedy Cinema Podcast. I'm your host, Jimbo, joined again today by... The Inflatable Kyle. <laughs> inflatable Kyle. Three pumps. I just see like the marshmallow man from <laughs> <laughs> uh, We've had the giggles for the last few minutes, so it, it, we had to restart this like 16 different times. So I'm not restarting it. The Inflatable it's, Kyle is it's, saying it's, it. It's got a stick now. The Inflatable Kyle, right. there it is. So today we are on episode uh, 78, the last Starfighter. This was one of my favorite films growing up as a kid, um, and it was requested a long time ago by David Martin. So we're going to go ahead and cover it today. So Kyle. All question. right. Okay. No. Questions. We're not just going into it. I got no. a question. Yes. Go for it. Kyle, if you, I, I know this is probably going to be the wrong thing to ask because this is going to go somewhere really crazy really fast. Kyle, if you were playing a video game and got sucked into another dimension world, what video game do you think you are good enough at that you would be sucked into another dimension <laughs> like the last Starfighter <laughs> to save the world? Save the world. Uh,. <laughs> Man, the truth is, like in most video games, I'd probably die immediately. <laughs> At least the ones I play. <laughs> We're sorry, Kyle. Our princess is in another castle. Exactly. <laughs> uh, probably an Elder Scrolls game because all those are stupid easy. <laughs> I really appreciate. Oh, uh, you just oh, you walked up to this random building. Well, congratulations, you're now head of the Mages Guild. Like, yay! Well, you know, I took an arrow through the knee. <laughs> took an arrow to the knee. Exactly. That's like every Elder Scrolls game. You just walk up and then they make you the leader of the new organization. Yeah. That's, that's probably the one game I could be successful in. <laughs> All right, Kyle, before we derail too far, let's You're the ahead. one competent man in this whole world. <laughs> before we derail too far, let's go ahead and talk about The Last Starfighter. All right, The Last Starfighter, released on July 13th, 1984, directed by Nick Castle, written by Jonathan, Ry- Jonathan R. Mutul, and produced by Gary Adelson and Edward O. Denault, composer Greg Safan, cinematographer King Baggett, Editor, uh, Carol Tiffany O'Meara, and casting directors Irene Marino and Barbara Miller. Going forward, we have the uh, budget of $15 million in 1984. That would be approximately about $39.6 million today. Opening weekend, domestically got $6 million, which is equivalent to about $15 million today. And gross worldwide, it made $28.7 million, which would be equivalent to about $75.7 million in today's currency. So, excuse me, folks. Um, <laughs> that So, a very modest film, even by today's um, standards. Um, definitely wasn't like, you know, uh, you know, uh, yeah, granted, like talking millions of dollars, so nothing's modest in millions. But still, as movies go, this is definitely a little bit more of a, a, a I guess, a B tier film. I guess you kind of call it not in quality, but necessarily in budget. I would say probably. Yeah. Um, going forward, we have the technical details. We have a runtime of one hour and forty one minutes. Uh, one hour and forty one minutes, or one hundred one minutes total. Sound mix. We have a seventy millimeter six track, seventy millimeter prints, and Dolby thirty five millimeter prints. Color. We are in Technicolor. Aspect ratio, we have 2.2 by 1 or 70 millimeter prints, or as another way put it, of 2.39 by 1. The camera was the Panaflex camera and lenses by Panavision. The negative format was 35 millimeters. The cinematographer, the cinematography, cinematographic process, there we go, was a Panavision and the anamorphic, anamorphic lenses. And the Going on to the awards, the TCM Awards, everybody. We have the Academy of Science Fiction, Fantasy, and Horror Films in the U.S. of A. of 1985. It was a nominee for the Saturn Award for Best Winning Actor, Robert Preston. 
the Evores Fantastic Film Festival of 1985. It was a nominee for the Grand Prize for Nick Castle. For the Hugo Awards of 1985, it was a nominee for Hugo for the Best Dramatic Presentation for Nick Castle, Director, and Jonathan R. Bitoul for the Author. And then we have the Young Artist Awards of 1985. We have a nominee, Young Artist Award for Best Young Supporting Actor in the Motion Picture Musical, Musical Comedy, Adventure, or Drama for the young Chris Herbert of the time. Whew. And going forward, we have the synopsis of the film. After defeating the video game The Last Starfighter, Alex Rogan is transported to another planet where he's recruited to become a starfighter and help defend the world from an on- upcoming attack. Whew. Oh, uh, moving on, we have a cast. <laughs> that's that's my part too, cast. Yeah, who needs to breathe when you have movies? All right, first up, we have a good old uh, the actor for uh, Alex Rogan. And we have Lance Guest playing Alex Rogan or slash Beta Alex. <laughs> he was in other films such as the 1987 version of uh, 1987 Robocop, um, the 1964, uh, the 19, oh, sorry, the no, he wasn't in RoboCop, sorry. I just misread my list here. 1987 film Jaws the Revenge, Halloween 2, and Late Phases. <laughs> then, we have movie, then we have actors like K.E. Cutter, who is in the 1993 film Star Trek, uh, not, not the film, the show Star Trek Deep Space Nine, the 1987 film Zombie High, and the 2001 film The Hollywood Sign. And those are the only movies the actors have ever been in. No, I'm kidding. Um, he's in another movie, too. But um, other stuff as well. Then we have Dan O'Hurley. Yeah, he was in the 1964 film Failsafe. The 1987 film Robocop, where he played basically the main antagonist, basically the uh, evil um, CEO. So, you know, Hugh Jackman is on right there. And he was also in Halloween 3 as, like, the main baddie of that film, I'm pretty sure, too. I haven't seen Halloween 3 myself. What? Not Halloween 3. No, it's, just, oh. it's fine. I mean, Season of the Witch. I heard good things. I just haven't got around to it yet. Um, then we have Catherine, Mag- Catherine Mary Stewart. Um, she was uh, plays Maggie Gordon. Um, she was in the 1989 version of Weekend and Birdies, the 1984 um, film Night of the Comet, and the 1985 film Mischief. Next oh, up, we have such a good movie. Barbara Bosen playing Jane Rogan, the uh, mother. Um, she was in the 1981 film uh, The Show. I mean, not the show, but the film Hill Street Blues. The 1984 film Calendar Girl Murders, and the 1990 film Cop Rock. <laughs> then we have Noman Snow playing Zur. He was in the film The Manhunter in 1986, the 1979 film The Europeans, and the 1973 uh, film Going Underground. Going forward, we have Robert Perch Preston, who played, uh, who was in The Music Man in 1962. Cloudburst in 1951, and The Gun for Hire in 1942. Next up, we have Chris Herbert, who was in the Twilight Zone movie in 1985, Fuzzbuck in 1986, and uh, Otherworld 85. Otherworld in the movie in, in the year 85. Then we have John O'Leary playing Ryland Burser, who uh, was in the film Airplane 1980, and the 1978 film Moment by Moment. And the 1990 film, The Hunting of Morella. Next up, we have George McDaniel, who plays Coden Officer. He was in Lionheart in 1990. Then we have Peggy Pope playing, playing Elvira. And she was recognized in the film 9 to 5 in 1980. Um, Once Bitten in 1985. And the uh, 1990s film, The Substitute, that actually film. I can't remember the year that came out. Next up, we have Mark Emilio. Emilio, who was in the film Total Recall in 1990, 
the film Arena in 1989, and was a star in Star Trek Deep Space Nine. And finally, we have uh, Will Wheaton, who just played Lewis's friend, but this is mean a small part here, so it's just worth noting. Um, he was in, of course, the uh, 2000, uh, the 1986 film Stand By Me, um, Star Trek Next Generation, of course, where he's best known for. And he was also in the Robin Williams film uh, Flubber. So uh, and that is the cast of The Last Starfighter. Okay. Jimbo, very good. Ask very me good. a thing. No. <laughs> or tell me something. Uh, this is the first time in a long time that. Um, I've had these notes done forever, uh, but back then I wrote a biography up on Robert Preston, who played Centauri in this movie. Excellent role. Um, he was born June 8th, 1918 in Newton Highlands, Massachusetts, and he died March 21st, 1987 in Montecito, California of lung cancer. He's known best for his roles in The Music Man and The Last Starfighter. He had never sung a note professionally before The Music Man. Was in three of Oscar uh, Best Picture nominees, Wake Island in 1942, The Music Man in 1962, and How the West Was Won in 1962. His salary for King of Alcatraz in 1938 was a mere $100 per week. And he had some uh, quotes, and these are some of the ones that I found that I'll throw on here. Um, Every time I turned down something or wasn't offered something I really wanted, the very next thing that I did was the thing I should have done all along. It's been a lucky career that way. Nothing that I've ever made really hurt me. I've survived some bad ones just the way I'd survived some plays that ran for only four performances. <laughs> so, um, I've done my best to avoid B pictures. Why should I go into them now and call it television? <laughs> oh, wow. Uh, and then he said, I get the best role in every B picture and the second best in every A picture. So... Uh, he sounds like a kind of a comedian guy I, I kind of would like to have met. A very so. self-aware person in a good way. Um, one thing Kyle did not mention is that the director of this film, Nick Castle, played Michael Myers in the original Halloween. So The original Mike Myers, everybody. Awesome powers, great movie. <laughs> I mean, wait, I mean the horror icon. Right, right, right. right. This is Mike Myers. No! <laughs> um, this is Michael Myers. Michael Myers. Right. right. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so here we go. We'll talk a little bit about this movie now. Um all the visual effects, if you watch this movie, you got to remember this is the early 80s or halfway through the 80s, and uh, the computer generated stuff that they have it looks cheesy now, uh, especially when we watch it in high def. <laughs> but mm-hmm. for the time, it was amazing. And I think they actually hold up very remarkably well. Like, they're very simplistic, but also, like, um, they're kept. It kind of reminds me of scenes. the uh, Star Fox on Spiritus. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But very much like, like you know, like they don't have like those spaceships appearing in like real world, so they don't look really out of place that much. They just like they look odd in space, but that's the place where you want them to look odd. I think. Right, and it's also funny that this is you see the DeLorean again in this movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, famous from back. DMC to the Motor Company, man. They they were all about it. You know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, let's see here. Uh, oh, this actually was Robert Preston's final movie pins from his death in March right. 21st, 1987. Hmm. Uh, they had to change the script uh, because they did not want it to be closely resembled to E.T. and Close Encounters, so they changed the plot from the suburbs to the trailer park. Uh, this was arguably the first movie to have all of its effects done by computer except for makeup and explosions. And definitely had the most computer effects of any movie since the movie Tron, which we covered way back, I believe, in episode three of this whole entire podcast. Yeah. And all the uh, computer effects were actually um, developed on a Cray XMP computer. So for the old tech, fiend, you know, tech fiends out there. Yeah, so. so, Kyle, you probably have more uh, stuff on your cell phone there than 
by magnitudes of by measures of magnitude. Right. right. Yeah. <laughs> um. <laughs> a lot of the uh, let's see here. A lot of the scenes with the beta unit, which we Kyle talked about, the beta unit was hilarious. Uh, were shot after the main filming was complete. Because the test audience liked the comic relief of the beta unit scenes, and director Nick Castle uh, then decided to add a little bit of more originality to the boy that gets to go to outer space story. Um, this is why many of the beta unit scenes, Lance Guest is actually wearing a wig. He had cut his hair by the time these scenes were shot. So he always his hair did look a little funny, now you know why. But it also links a little bit to like the beta not looking quite right. Right. <laughs> But looking close enough, like you can definitely see, like it's definitely a wig, but also, like, because he's a fake human, that makes even more sense, right? Yeah. And you know, one of my favorite scenes of this movie is where he takes his head off and he sits it on the desk, yeah. he's having like, a horrible says, nightmare, I, I, yeah. <laughs> uh, well, his little brother wakes up, like, what in the world? And it's like, you're having a horrible nightmare, go back to bed, yeah. <laughs> so good, so good. Uh, the translator given to Alex on Rylos is the circuit board on, off of a digital watch, <laughs> yeah. Uh, according to screenwriter Jonathan R. Butel, the idea of this movie came about because he wandered into a video arcade. Uh, see, Kyle, back when I was young, they used to have these at the mall. They were called video arcades where you go in there and they were all video games you could play. Uh, I, 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 you know, probably Chuck E. Cheese for you when you went. No, no, for, for me, it was always local movie theaters. They had the arcades right. in there. That's where I feel like. But yeah, much. but they only have, that was only a little bit. These these arcades. Were, oh, yeah, full-on arcades. Like we had them called, yeah. I think they were called Aladdin's Castle or Aladdin's Palace in the malls around here. Yeah. And they were just... Wall to wall video games. Nowadays, like adults in the U.S. at least probably have like David Buster's still. Like, right. Still have those going on. Which, so that's we cool. have one that just opened up the road. So. Oh wow, gotta go sometime. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Let, me finish, I, let just, me finish this. No, Jim Bond. Yeah, I got. I got. I got to have. My so own he thoughts. walked into this video arcade and he seen a young boy playing a video game, um, and he had just been reading the book "The Once and Future King" by T. H. White, and it occurred to him. What if a video game had been like a sword in a stone and a boy had scored an incredible number of points in the video game which sent out a ripple effect across the universe? I believe you actually mentioned before that, yeah, uh, I, uh, I can't remember. It's like when Greg talks to Centauri about it and like I think he calls it like another Excalibur program or something like that. So like the idea that they've been doing this for hundreds of years possibly How good is stuck in my mind. How good is Centauri in this movie? And I'll tell you another one of my Steals favorite Steals every scene he's in. You know. Another one of my favorite scenes is when they're flying up to wherever they're going, the, the, the command thing, and he takes off his eyeballs. And yeah. he's like cleaning his eyeballs. You know, he turns around and looks. He's got those glowing red eyes or whatever. Mm. Those eyes, uh, it's in the notes somewhere, but the, uh, it didn't show any reflection off the, the, the windows or the, the thing, so that's pretty interesting. They just pops them back in, you know what I mean? Yeah, and I love the idea. Like, like There's multiple little quirks of this film that I really appreciate because other films didn't quite do in all time. Like, all the aliens do look truly alien in a fun way where like, they don't look like relatable humans. Like, if Centauri just walked up to you with alien face, you'd be horrified of him. <laughs> but he's still also still a lovable character in his own right, even though he doesn't have like some kind of like... <laughs> He's not an alien with, like, puppy dog eyes. You know, like, a lot of other movies kind of do sometimes. Or even, like, E.T. has a degree of, like, they're so, you know, so ugly, you gotta love them. Right. Um, you know, and also, like, same thing, like, you know, with the beta human, I forget, like, what they call them, the beta max or beta alks. But, like, I love the idea of, like, incompetent technology being still used for these, like, these sci-fi civilizations still just having, like, incompetent robots trying to do all this thing. <laughs> like, I just imagine so many beta units across the galaxy that are just doing terrible jobs of covering up their lives. <laughs> so good. Uh, Jonathan Butel was working as a cab driver when he wrote the first draft, draft of this script, which is amazing, so. Wow. Um, 
Although Will Wheaton's speaking scenes were cut, he can be seen in two scenes running around the trailer park early in the film wearing a red football jersey. And in the final scene where he is obscure, standing behind Lewis wearing a blue jacket, possibly over the red jersey. Mm-hmm. Um, let's see here. The voice of the video game that Alex Rogan played the trailer park, the, uh, the what's called Last Starfighter? It wasn't just called the Last Starfighter video game on the arcade. Yeah. Or it was a Starfighter game. I can't remember. But actually, it was um, the voice was done by also by Robert Preston for Centauri. So definitely like the whole idea of like, this whole video game being Centauri's baby and getting it out before Christmas and all that kind of fun stuff. <laughs> Are you ready for this, Kyle? In 2009, it was announced that a long-awaited sequel titled Starfighter was going into production. The film would take place 25 years after the original film when Norman Snow confirmed on to return as Zur. Ultimately, the sequel was never made. It may have uh, followed a grown-up Lewis Rogan who misses his brother and is brought to Rylos to become a starfighter, or it may have involved Alex and Maggie's Rylos-born son or daughter who sets out to settle a score with Zur when Alex is killed during a Kodan attack. Mm-hmm. Um, we were talking about a little bit uh, before too, like you know, like how would the series ever come back if it does? Because it is like it's good enough where it's worth having its own little. Um, we think like it'd be like a sequel or even a series could be an or even thing. a reboot. A reboot could also work to a degree, and just like you know, uh, I think like there's a fun way of retaining that. Um, you know, not like not just reproducing those old digital effects, but also like having a simplistic art style could be really cool and, and appealing um, in modern times, something like that. Now, do you, you know? do you think that um, just on a side note, do you think it ever um, works better for them to, if they re- do a sequel or if they do a, a reboot, would you rather see them do keep some of the old animation styles and computer technology they used, or would you rather be all hammed up like the Marvel Cinematic Universe? Um, I'm kind of a fan of like... Um I feel like Blade Runner 2049, if anyone saw that sequel, kind of hit a good mark where it was like, uh, or even like, uh, granted, the, the renewed Star Wars trilogy too, like, uh, just like, put a very, um, uh, a subdued, like, uh, iteration of that technology, like, if like, there's some like, like, the technology in the first Last Starfighter film is like the original iPhone, and then the this technology now would be closer to like something like an iPhone 5 or something like, it feels like an iterative process over the last films where like, they've clearly advanced a little bit, but not drastically. I don't want like a totally new kind of aesthetic going on. I want it to still kind of conjure what was going on in that 80s film right. and try and retain a little bit of that aesthetic. Yeah, I know. don't want it to lose its nostalgia just because you can have better graphics. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, like, also, like, there's, there's a, you know, there's a... Well, like Tron Legacy. Mm-hmm. I think it still captured the essence of the original, but yeah. even though it had updated graphics. Yeah, yeah, and, and there's just there's a real um, there's a real uniqueness to having that a little bit of a retro futurism going on in the artistic style that I would really appreciate if they did that and like if they ever brought the series back, have a little bit closer to something more of a retro future rather than just having what we consider modern sci-fi aesthetics in like an, a, a reboot of a movie. I wouldn't really care for that, and I would right. also love like but also like the ship designs were like. Although you definitely want it to be like you know sharp and clean and look like you know like a practical effect degree in CG, I would also still love to have like the very simplified geometry of the ships and have those kind of designs where it's still very blocky and kind of weird in its own right old way. It kind of looks like, like a Tesla. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Or like yeah, or like the way the, the light, kind of, yeah, or the way like like it doesn't really quite have the light, the white, the right light to it, where like the light doesn't seem to bounce off it the way you expect because it's like a simplified you know three um, D at the time. I would like if they somehow retain that kind of interesting little visual quirk in like a modern movie you know I think like that 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 it has a lot of potential in it to make the movie look really unique and cool in its own way right you know so that's my personal opinion on the matter how you do a sequel or reboot 
Uh, Nick Castle specifically chose Craig Safan to uh, compose the score. Great score, too, by the way. Fantastic. And I showed Kyle earlier, there is a Last Starfighter Starfighter musical. <laughs> I was like, uh, you have got to be kidding me. It is on Apple Music. It's called The Last Starfighter the Musical, and the first song is Starlight, Star Bright. Um, just buckle up. If you try to listen, I played it for Kyle, and he's just over like, what are you talking what are you, about? What are you doing right now? <laughs> this is not right. Turn this off. <laughs> uh, soon after Alec meets, uh, Alex meets Greg for the first time, we see Greg adjusting a device with rotating beams. This prop is a mainstay of engineering sets, most notably seen in Airplane 2, the sequel in 1982. Wasn't that that, uh, yeah, wasn't William Shatner um, also one of the things like, what's this machine do? And it's just like, this appears to have this light rod that goes back and forth. We haven't figured out what it means yet. I'm pretty sure that, that was one of the joke props of that movie. <laughs> Kyle, Robin Williams was offered for the role of Zur, but he passed. Would you have seen Robert Williams as Zur? Uh... Yeah, I think I could definitely. Like he definitely. Uh, I forget what was the um, what was that show where he played an alien back in the eighties. Remember the name of that show? Ron Williams. Uh, Mark and Mindy. Mark and Mindy. Yeah, exactly. Like like similar, changing that kind of vibe, but also making it sinister would have made it a really good kids film. I think actually, it probably the, the film would have been a little bit different, but also still really good. Right. From Williams in the role. <laughs> in addition to the major star, uh, the major Star Trek Universal later played by Starfire cast members Will Wheaton and Mark Alamayo. Several others in the movie's cast guest starred in various Star Trek franchises. They included Dan Mason, Barbara Boston, Norman Snow, and Jeffrey Blake. But notable among them is Meg Wiley, uh, Granny Gordon, who played one of the uh, Talazan keepers in the Star Trek 1966 pilot, Star Trek The Cage, in 1986. Yeah, I have that note here somewhere, too. Yeah, same note. Yeah. <laughs> But agree, uh, pretty cool. You know, sci-fi that. actors keep tossing the sci-fi roles. How it goes, like a lot of them, you know, mainstays in the the Star Trek universe. Now, this, this I read this one. This one upset me because how awesome would this have been? Galoob created prototype action figures for the movie, but they were never produced because retailers didn't believe the film would be successful. The figures included Alex Trailer Park and Starfighter outfits, Maggie Centauri. Grig, Zur, Krill, Akodan, and the tentacled starfighter, the two Xanadek, Doxians, and Durian. They were planned to be released in two-figure packs. Ultimately, the film was a modest success, but by then it was too late to produce the toys. Yeah, and so I think the retailers probably actually made it the right call in that case, where like it's just better safe than sorry, and like even if it did make those toys, it still would have been only. But like I would have still set. liked them come out with at least Centauri, Alex, and Maggie. Maybe you know what I agree. Very simple toys, you know, you like know just not yeah. a whole thing. Maybe just like a Nico statue or something. Now, even then, like in the retro market today, they could still be made today, and I think it would actually sell pretty. Oh, cool. yeah. They probably even sell better today than they would back in the eighties. <laughs> but uh, I think that actually would have been really cool. And also, like, you know, you know, never seen ever to the last Starfighter having a future someday. Right. Hopefully it does. Uh, this was shot in only 40 days. Uh, that's, uh, for the 80s, that's actually impressive. But, of course, we've got, we've, we've, we've went through hundreds of, not hundreds of films. We went through a lot of films, like, especially in the 50s and earlier. So I think what like was it? in, like, two weeks. or Texas Chainsaw Massacre was 21 days or something. If I yeah, yeah. Something like so, that. like, just about half that time. Right. So, for the uh, for the 80s, that's, that's, that's pretty fast production time. But for um, films that we usually cover, that's par for the course. Right. Uh, Nick Castle, Lance Guest, and Dan O'Hearley had all previously been in the Halloween film franchise, as Kyle was talking about earlier. Castle played Michael Myers in Halloween 78. Guest uh, played Jimmy in Halloween 2, 1981. And O'Hearley played Conal Con uh, Cochran in Halloween 3, Season of the Witch in 82. Uh, Dan O'Hearley also played Griggs' wife in the Griggs' family photo. <laughs> <laughs> 
Wow. That's great. That's great. Uh, <laughs> according to Twitter, in April 2018, a reboot is in the works. A screenplay was submitted by Gary Whitta, who had uh, wanted to make a reboot for many years. Matt also provided some concept artwork. Both worked on Rogue One, a Star Wars story in 2016. So there's still a little bit of buzz about it, but it's just yeah. one of those things, it's, man. It, you know, I... I, I, I um... I was I had a long running joke for a friend for a, a, probably more than a decade about like Bill and Ted three never being made and we always joke about that because every every year and a half there'd be a new news story about like oh yeah we'll tell you later guys it's coming out anytime now and we had a joke going on like that movie's never gonna get made oh yeah Bill and Ted three anytime now but then it actually got made and it's all right so and now I just killed your joke it's like it's the much, joke yeah. Dumb and Dumber where he what he do he went into you know where he did that joke for like what was 24 years or something Jim mm-hmm. Carrey did and then it finally happened so you're yeah. just like oh okay so never say never I hope it does get a sequel someday I would love to see a reboot or sequel or something, oh, yeah. something about Last Starfighter in the future you know, um, so hopefully we get it everyone on set loved the veteran performer Robert Preston and said what an amazing experience it was working with him but they all thought he was much older than his actual age of 64 he had been a heavy smoker for many years and unfortunately died only four years later at the age of 68 from lung cancer. Aww. This is also one of Vernon Washington's last acting roles before his death on June 7th, 1988. Kyle, if I, had to, if I asked you what one video game do you think was a major influence behind this film, what would you say? Uh, for 1984? Oh, man. I am, it would be like oh, an Asteroids, a, probably, maybe? Close. Uh, Space Invaders Space was Invaders. a major influence behind this film. Mm-hmm. I would have thought Asteroid, especially for like the Death Blossom at the end. I thought that's a very <laughs> Asteroid. <laughs> that's a very Asteroidy moment for that movie. That's why I went for that guess. Um, when Alex first meets Greg, now this is very interesting. When Alex first meets Greg in the space station, he's wearing. The, you remember when they pinned the translator on him that allows him to hear English when an alien language is being spoken? Yeah. Which is assumed that when Greg first speaks to Alex, he's speaking an alien language. Yet at the end of the movie. When he greets the residents of the trailer park, Greg comes out, and they are able to understand and respond to him, even though none of the residents have translating devices. Potholes. <laughs> <laughs> that's all it is. Yeah, that's fine. Or like some kind of a simulation. Like some like you can make a sci-fi reason for why that works. Sure, go for it. You know, the the spaceship had a transmitter array, which caused the tran you know translator transmitter. That's what we're going to call it. Translator <laughs> transmitter. Okay. Yeah. Uh, when Centauri is driving the star car, he moves Robert Preston's face to reveal the face. Uh, I talked about this where the glow casts no reflection on the windshield, nor the passenger partition. Um, in the initial meeting, the Zanduzan reaches down through the roofing and grabs Alex's jacket from which Alex escapes. Remember when he's sees him and reaches down? So the Zanduzan are there uh, to assassinate Alex, uh, has a projectile weapon, and is in close proximity to Alex. He could have completed his mission quickly with just a shot to the head. <laughs> been done with it. But yeah. then we would have a movie. You know, I'm waiting for the movie day when one day where the bad guy just comes up, kills the good guy, and it's like the end. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I know. There's definitely a lot of movies that still kind of need that kind of plot work done. So, yeah. Kyle, give me your thoughts on The Last Starfighter. The Last Starfighter is an absolute classic, and I love it to death. It's a great movie and uh, deserves to be brought back um, one day, I think. And uh, I, I feel like it's like, in terms of appreciation culturally, it's just like one of those things like you, everyone like everyone knows what Star Wars is, but then like right under that second tier, 
Starfighter sits like right at the top around there. Like that's where I kind of feel like it sits. Where like you have to go with that that next level down, where actually you're a little bit more of a sci-fi buff to know the last Starfighter even exists nowadays. It's kind of come. It's it almost falls like just under that cult, just above that cult following, but just under Star Wars and that little gray area that I really appreciate. And so overall, I think this film is a uh, great, well worth watching anytime, and uh, just a uh, good, good film. Jimbo, how do you feel about it? Well. This is thirty-six year old, uh, thirty-six, thirty-seven years old now. Movie, um, so I was seven, six, seven when this came out. Mm-hmm. Uh, so of course, you know, I'm like, oh, you know, uh, yeah. You were the right, you were the, the right, right time, yeah. Them. So yeah. they would have made a killing off of me with uh, action figures. Um, but I love this movie. I was talking to you, man. I watch this movie every so often now since it's digital now. Uh, it was hard to find on VHS there for a while, and even DVD, you know, until there, like the 25th anniversary. There were some rights issues for a good long time, I believe. Right. And so now that I have it digitally downloaded, I can pull it up. I love the musical score. Um, I think the musical score is – it rates right up there with some of John Williams, uh, even though he didn't do this one. It rates up there as far as iconic to me uh, as, a, as, a, as a musical score. Um, I can sit down and watch it say time, not be bored. It's hilarious at times, especially when – uh, the scene where Alex and our beta Alex and Maggie go to the the uh, the uh, campground or whatever with the other guy, the other two are making out. Remember, yeah. and, and she ends up uh, he's because he's he's trying to compute all this stuff, and he starts talking to her. He's re- he can hear what the other guy's saying to the girl, and he hears everything that's going on and everything. And uh, there's very some comedic scenes like the little boy grabbing the Playboy issues, uh, you know, it's not like <laughs> that. Where's, your Playboys? where's, where's oh, June? Yeah. Hello, Miss June, or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so there's a lot of. A lot of fun stuff in there as you go along. Um, but overall, I just think it's a really enjoyable movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, you should yeah. definitely watch it. Yeah. And I give respect to, like, also, like, granted, it was, a, it was a choice to avoid similarities, but going to a trailer park also sends it down into a little more of a, of a, it's not rural, I want to say, uh, uh, a blue collar kind of sensibility in some of its sci-fi, in some of its like human characters that I really appreciate that feel like often unrepresented in films, especially like you don't want to see a lot of like like um, like a lot of films like they depict like trailer park people of being like lower class or like lesser or something like that. And this film actually treats them like sincerity of being like good fashion people who are good, willing, hard to do, and just living like living trailer park. Right. So and I give it a I give it props for that too. Yeah, and just to see somebody that actually came from the trailer park become a, sp- a starfighter, I thought it was really awesome too. Yeah, 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 and. and came back and like appreciate everyone everyone was proud of him for what he did and all kind of stuff too so it, it it had a good community atmosphere for his life that i really appreciate because you know um you know trailer parks get a bad rap for people in all kinds of situations you know and so it's nice to see a movie that actually depicts them with dignity so kyle know? if if let's say your girlfriend came back from space and said well we got to go back would you leave all your family yes. and behind and i mean i mean <laughs> i shouldn't answer that so fast yeah probably maybe maybe i would go <laughs> <laughs> You can go, but you can't bring your animals. Kyle, are you going? Yes. <laughs> Sorry, I love your dog, but yes. They all have the understanding. Like, I love them all, but like, the second I get to go see Alien Worlds, I'm sorry, I'm gone. I'm, I'm going to cut loose. I'm like... <laughs> well, thanks for joining us once again here and with the inflatable Kyle. Uh, uh, yeah. We appreciate every each and every one of you. Thanks for listening to us again and staying with us. Um, we will be coming back shortly next week with a new movie. Um, it's another space movie, and I do believe it is going to... We'll, we'll go ahead and say it. It, it is yeah. going to be Spaceballs, uh, just because we haven't done a comedy in a long time, and we haven't done a Mel Brooks in a long time, and Spaceballs is one of those ones where you can just cut back and have fun. Exactly. And it's just crazy. We're in the mood for it, definitely. Yeah, so... Yeah. 
That being said, this episode's coming to a close, and that's a wrap. And cut.